So here's what happened is a proud member of the But Why Though podcast community. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of So Here's What Happened. I am your host, Nisha, and I'm always joined by my lovely co-host. Karen, what up? What up? We are back for another episode to discuss another batch of things we have reviewed, watched, enjoyed, maybe not always enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Y'all know we watched and read some things and we're here to talk about it with each other and share it with all with y'all and ourselves. So without further ado, let's dive right on in. Carolyn, you want to kick things off with the books? Yes. So for I think this is the first in a very long time I'm going to be talking about a, a book. Because I think the last books I talked about were the Expanse books. Like, and that was like, what, over two years ago? Mm-hmm. <laughs> or, or I almost. think so. Yeah, because yeah, we're in 2021. Yeah, the last Expanse book I read was book that would have been book seven when they were mm-hmm. doing season four. Right. So, yeah, before, long before the pandemic and everything. So the comic I read is a graphic novel written and created by Latoya Morgan, and it's called Dark Blood. And this is, I read the first issue and it's great. It has me really intrigued about what's coming up in this series. So this is, it looks like it's a mystery, supernatural, sci-fi graphic novel, and it's taking place in the early 1950s because it happens after World War II. And our protagonist, is Avery Aldridge. So I, I believe he was a member of the Red Tail. So like every so because this is the first book, like we don't have everything about him. But from what from what I'm gathering is he was a member of the Red Tails. And if you don't know the Red Tails, the Red Tails were a group of elite African American fighter pilots during the Second World War. And they have um as far I think their record still stands as having the most successful flights and missions and the least amount of um, deaths during missions. And, and as you know, with a lot of soldiers that fought during World War II, when they came back to America, they faced extreme racism. They were targeted, persecuted, and tormented by white people. And this series is kind of going to explore that. But it also does have a supernatural element. And I think I really love the graphic design for this. It's like old school comics. And I mean comics from that I used to read like in the late 80s and the 90s. Like, you know, those old Spider-Man comics. Mm-hmm. And so like, it looks like that, and I'm wondering if it's going to have a noir aspect to it. We're not sure yet, but it's definitely going to be sci-fi and supernatural because something happens to Avery. There's this thing called the var- an event that's called the variance that takes place 10 years mm-hmm. before the start of the book. We don't know what the variance is. We don't know what the variance does, if it's connected to the war, if it's something that happened to Avery after he came back. And I'm just intrigued because I'm like, what is the variance? I think this is going to be a special story because we're going to get a story about not only a black man I'm thinking with superpowers, but also it's going to tie into the Red Tails. And I think this is a great way to introduce people to the history of the Red Tails and the story of African-American soldiers when they came back from the Second World War. Now, there was a film in the mid-2000s about the Red Tails, and that's, I think that was a pretty good film. But apart from that, like you don't really see any mention of them in media, whether it's in film or TV. And I think it's special to have it in a book now. And one, I think, written by a Black woman. So if you know, if you're not familiar with Toya, she's written for AMC. She's written, which means she's also written for The Walking Dead, Fear of the Walking Dead, as well as Turn, Washington Spies. That was a fantastic series. Um, it was about, you know, the, the American Revolution where, you know, the George Washington and that kind of stuff. And I really enjoyed the series. And I think she, I think Toya has a knack for writing 
mysteries and also getting rid and like giving a lot of historical context to her writing. This is going to be a cool series. It's going to be monthly. So when you like want to get your subscription, you'll be getting monthly subscriptions, I believe, and it's by Boom Comics. So you can go on Boom and check out the, the comics and the other products and order the, the, the comics because I think it's really important, especially to support Black female comic writers because the last one we had, we spoke about was Stephanie Williams who had her, her book, Help Me Nisha. Oh, Living Heroes. Living Heroes, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm dying mm-hmm. because I was thinking Living Single, but I'm like, it's Living Single, but I can't remember what that word was. My brain just like- Living Heroes up. and also her new book from DC, well, her new title from DC too, um, starring Nubia. Um, yeah, yeah just like so happy for our friends. So happy for guests so of the show and friends. I know, like we have some amazing, um, I think like black women, I think are doing amazing work. Black women have always been doing amazing work, I think, in, in the comic medium, because like there's O'Neill Jones who, who did the art for our living heroes. And then there's other comic artists like Vitya that we follow, both of us follow online, on Twitter. And then there's like a whole host of other women. So I think you have to have women in not only doing the art, lettering, but the writing and the creation of these stories. And I'm so happy for both Latoya and for, and for Stephanie. And I can't wait to see where the Dark Blood series goes because I think it's going to be interesting to have a supernatural story set in this era. And I, I'm going to speak it into being for Latoya if this is what she wants, but I would love to see this turn into, um, I think it would make a great film adaptation. And I know it may seem early because I'm saying this because I only read the first issue, but I can see this kind of being something like how, what, they, what HBO did with Watchmen. Right, where you can bring mm-hmm. that, that comics from specific eras and bring them into world because like this is a story that is gonna has real world um, references and it, it's, like racism is still right, it's still racism, it's still happening. And even living heroes, I would love to see that. I would love to see that turn into a comedy special for Stephanie. Hey, um, yes. <laughs> but that's it for me and my first my first book recommendation in a very very long time. Awesome. Well, I'm glad. It sounds exciting. I definitely want to check it out. Um, moving on to mine then, I went ahead and I'm going to talk about, I believe I have talked about Demon Slayer before. It's a manga shocker. I know it's a manga, y'all. Um, but this is special because this is the final volume of the series that I recently wrote a review for on But Why Though. Um, the title of it is called Demon Slayer Kimetsu no Yeba, volume 23. So just a quick synopsis, uh, Demon Slayer uh, volume 23 is an action adventure fantasy manga written and illustrated by Koyoharu Gotu and published by Viz Media set in the Taisho era Japan. Demon Slayer uh, follows Tanjiro Kamado, a young boy, a young boy trying to support his mother and young younger siblings. A demon slaughters Tanjiro's family and turns his younger sister Nezuko into a demon. Now Tanjiro and Nezuko must set out to defeat the demon that killed their family and find a cure for Nezuko to regain humanity. So. Volume 23 consists of chapters 197 through 205. Um, it has the final confrontation that Tanjiro and his fellow demon slayers have fought through um, the night to finally fight against Muzin, who is basically the primary antagonist of the entire series. So he is the demon that turned Nezuko. He's the whole reason for Tanjiro and Nezuko going on this journey in the very beginning. Um, and now they're this volume is really putting a close on this entire arc and i would say saga of the series of 
Tanjiro and Nezuko finally coming full circle to, you know, avenge their family and to put it into the demon who basically has been wrecking havoc on humanity for years, like thousands of years, thousand, many, many years. Point is, so it's, it's a very, it's a huge fight. It takes a lot of manpower and one of the things that I always love about the Demon Slayer series is that it really gets at the heart of, you know, camaraderie, how what makes they, they really touch on what makes the humans different from the demons, because demons will be like, I chose to become a demon because I knew that I eventually would meet my limits as a human. So I wanted to explore my strength beyond that. So I took this this power from Muzin to explore that. I'm, I'm summarizing that this is like a thing for many of the demons in the story and like why they explain because they, they were given an opportunity to choose to become a demon. And basically, if you can think about it, take accepting this dark communion from this demon and becoming his follower and get, being granted all this power. Um, now, with the demon slayers, they know and using Tanjiro as an example, they know that their bodies have their limits, that they will die, that they will, you know, not live out. They know that in this final fight that they're literally fighting with their with everything they have because they will very well die in this fight. And all that matters is defeating this demon. And it's kind of like interesting when you think about it is because like, no, the thing that the demon's like in his inner monologue, he's like, why do they keep trying? I'm stronger than them. Why do they keep trying? What keeps pushing them, to sp spurring them forward? I'm obviously stronger than them. And it's just like, you'll never, he, cause that demon has been a demon for so long that he literally forgets like that human, that thing that makes humans so unique is that we don't give up, that we will continue to fight and that we'll lean on one another when we find ourselves falling, f falling short when we have our shortcomings. So there's like these little bits and pieces that have been like really touched on throughout the series. And I think this volume does a great job. The manga Cobb being the, the creator of the series and their staff, they do a wonderful job of bringing it all back up in this, in this um, final closing chapter or sorry, volume. And I think it was done very beautifully. And I think like one thing specifically I called out in my review is that I love that the final confrontation, which you think is like, the final confrontation when thing when it's over it's not over the final confrontation and this has been out now so i'm not under an embargo or anything i can actually talk about it it's honestly been out it's actually this is a spoiler but like it's been out for a year it's been out for a year because the fun thing yeah because like the way this works is like if people read the series on the shonen jump app that is updated weekly whereas viz media prints the english release volumes much later after the japanese release has been put out but the japanese release puts out the english release chapters on the shonen jump app so literally nobody can get mad at me but I'm about to say this. <laughs> so to my point, basically when it looks like Tanjiro has killed Muzin, the demon, um, it looks like, oh great, we won, we did it. We finally won, we can finally rejoice. It's a new dawn, the sun is up, we have won. Tanjiro has been turned into a demon. <laughs> Wait, the protagonist gets turned into a demon? He gets turned into the de into a demon in the last mean? few chapters. Basically, what happens is Muzin transforms himself to cover himself because the demons can transform their size or whatever. Um, and another thing to comment on this is that I love that the series does, that the creator does, is that they really lean into like 
artistry from inspiration from like, you know, Japanese folklore horror that people will probably recognize from that kind of genre. So like <laughs> he turns himself into this giant, like demonic, pathetic looking baby to like basically surround himself with flesh so the sun doesn't melt him. I know it sounds it sounds very weird. Imagine Blade when that one vampire blew up and he was just yeah. a giant blob. Imagine that. Um, so he does that and inside of the blob is, blob is Tanjiro trying to pierce him with his sword so he can kill him. Um, Tanjiro succeeds in piercing him, but like with Muzin's last breath, he basically transforms Tanjiro while he's unconscious into a demon. So Tanjiro wakes up, he's does not have the ability to control his rage or anything, his instincts, because he's been taken over by his demon instincts. But internally, there's a battle going on inside of Tanjiro for basically for him with Muzin, because Muzin's by injecting his blood into him or whatever, he's trying to like take over his body and be like, okay, I died, but I'll live on through you and you'll be my successor. Like, of course, of course, because like they do. And I love how instead of like succumbing to it, because Tanjiro, the best thing about this character, in my opinion, is that like he has a great heart. He's a little innocent Seminole who just wants to save people, but also he's tired. He's exhausted. He literally has spent a majority, not minority, no, the majority of this series all to like save his sister's humanity to find a cure and to end the reign of this demon and he's just tired and he wants to avenge his family and then like inside of him there's this internal struggle and the demon is telling him like you should rest you give up give up give in you should rest you like there's no point in going back now you're a demon now no one will look at you the same because like um, while he's unconscious, his body is awake and he's like slashed at people and attacked people. And like he's saying, like, you've killed people. They'll never forgive you. And he's just like, I don't care. I can like I can hear them crying for me. They must be worried for me. And it's like there's this piece, this panel where he's like, I don't care. I'd rather go back and face it than to give in right. and succumb to it. And I think like that's and it's just, again, beautiful because it's like. Muzin, being the demon, cannot comprehend why would you ever go and face these consequences when you could just become a demon and live forever. And ta whereas Tanjiro was like, I know I'll die when I go back and I know I'll face these consequences, but I'd rather be alive and human. Mm -hmm. And like, it's the inner struggle and the dialogue that I think the um, creator does so well in those scenes where it's like, there's no action in, in those final moments. It's all happening through dialogue um, right. for the inner and in for the inner inner struggle between them. So I think, I think that's what really got to me. And I found it to be a beautiful, beautiful way to end the series because it's something that's touched on like repeatedly throughout the series. And I love how it's never been, done in a way that seems like it's boring if that makes sense i can never get tired of it but yeah y'all go pick that up so it so this is the end 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 of the series like or is it just like a temporary thing till they do like another this is the okay. end yeah no um so this final if the people want to buy the printed version of this like the book it comes off off august 3rd so by the time this this episode goes out y'all will be able to buy it but yeah this is the end 
Um, I don't know if there's any news that they're going to be a, um, I can, there is a synopsis at the end of it. I didn't want to give it away. Mm-hmm. Not a synopsis, um, a prologue, epilogue. There's an epilogue at the yeah. end of the, uh, yeah. There's an epilogue at the end of the volume, which I think is very beautiful. Um, and I think a lot of people will enjoy it. Basically it deals with reincarnation. So it's kind of like, Another thing they touch on in this series is just like, if we didn't have to live this hellish life, what would our lives been like? Like who, what kind of people would we have been? Or like, you know, and you kind of get to get to see a glimpse of that for the heroes through their descendants. And you can kind of, you can choose to believe that they're the reincarnations or it's their descendants. But I like to believe that a bit of, a bit of them is reincarnated in their descendants and they're able to live Mm -hmm. out their lives as normal teenagers who don't have to become soldiers to fight demons <laughs> and be happy. Yeah, you know, that sounds like that sounds like when like, when you watch some of these. I, is it Wong Jung um, dramas? Because I don't I don't think it's the exact genre, but it sounds like um some of these, particularly the Chinese epic period dramas, where mm. like let me see, I'm thinking things something like the Untamed or even Word of Honor is the one I would say, kind of like where you mm. have these endings. Or even like I would say, even the fan fiction version of these extremely dramatic stories, where you do have characters like that you're talking about, how mm-hmm. like it seems at the end, like the ending is kind of ambiguous. You're like, so is he finally gonna get to live in peace? Is he gonna go off and die? You know, like those kind of ambiguous endings. But then like you have like the fan fanfic version where the writers are just gonna be like, you know what, show you didn't give me the story I wanted, so I'm gonna retcon. Yes, what happened. And I'm going to give the proper ending. And this is like the happy ending that they mm-hmm. deserve. Like they either become immortal or they get extra life. Or I just said like the descendants, they come back and they don't come back in the descendants, but they get reincarnated like maybe 60 years yeah. later and they come back and they finally get to live the happy life. Honestly makes me so happy. And I would say like, it's one, and I said this in my review, it's one of the best manga endings and like one of so I didn't say best, most satisfying manga endings for me. Cause I know a lot of people when this came out last year, folks, and I hadn't read it at this time last year. Um, Cause I was trying to review it as it was coming out as I was writing the manga reviews through Viz Media. But a lot of people seemed sounded like they didn't like it or that they weren't happy with it. And like, that's every, to each their own, that's their opinions. I'm not exactly sure if it was like, some people felt like the final battle felt rushed. Um, honestly, I feel like the final battle in total from like the arc and like the Muzin, the final battle with Muzin, that arc, I felt like if I'm going off of memory, I think that's about three or two and a half volumes long. So yeah, I feel like it doesn't, I feel like, I, I feel like some people, you know, like maybe it wasn't long enough for them <laughs> or some people feel like it was too long. I don't know. I feel like for all that it did it was worth it and how they wrapped it up and I was happy with it I think in the end it was a good it was a great satisfying ending and it gave me closure for what I needed for the characters um but yeah I think a lot of people are probably going to have different feelings it's a very emotional ending it's been an emotional road (laughs) it's been an emotional series but this one does not make me feel like it's bittersweet to say goodbye to it like, I'm actually happy with the ending, which I don't always get to say about things that end. No, it's true. Like, the, I always tell some things for me, 
the best ending isn't one where necessarily you get a super happy ending, but like the ending makes sense for the characters yes. and for the story, and it's satisfying to me. Those are the kind of endings where I'm just like, you know what? This makes sense. I accept mm-hmm. it. The others are just be like, make her days. I will be forever bitter about that series. Yeah. Forever bitter. Episodes 9 and 10 do not exist. My head cannons, everything. Is I will always have, I have a list of things that just make me bitter, like feel bitter about yeah. the endings or like how they took a direction in the series. Looking at you, Bones. Looking at you. Oh my gosh. One day we're just going to have that episode where we're like five top bitter series that we don't talk about no more. <laughs> yeah. You just like every time you think about it, you just get upset. Yes, I can't. I can't. We can do oh into that another time. But all right, let's go ahead and get into the TV recommendations. What have you been watching? Well, everyone knows I watch my Korean dramas, and I'm gonna mm-hmm. stick on brand because you know what? That is my brand now. That is what I do. So for me, I've been watching like a ton of dramas as we're recording the shows I'm watching right now. Um, that you can find on Netflix would be Hospital Playlist. Um, this is the second season. And when it comes to Korean dramas, I personally love that you get a complete story in one season, but there's always an exception. There are some shows where you have multiple seasons and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't like voice for. No, this season unnecessary. They blew the whole plot. I don't know what was going I don't know what's going on. I'm only watching now because I need to figure out how this madness ends. This should have ended at season two, or even just season one. Season two, no, season two was good. Um, and let me see who else was um, multiple series, but was really good. Romantic teacher, Dr. Kim. Let me see. Uh, Partners for Justice is really good, but for um, Hospital Playlist is on Netflix. Season two, Heart, every episode just makes me either smile or cry or both. Like this show is so well written. It's a, it's a. I just love the characters. They're all so funny. Oh my gosh. And the actors, but like you can tell they have so much fun on set. I've seen like a couple behind the scenes um, footage and then they've done like a couple of variety shows. They're all so funny, but I love the characters. I love the story and I love when you have medical dramas that it feels real. Like, the, like I've been in the hospital, unfortunately, way too many times personally for my own health reasons. And I used to volunteer in a hospital and I know how hospitals operate. And like some things will be different from country to country, but one thing I do love is for with Korean dramas is it's to me from my experience is more realistic than what I see with American North American dramas. And what they do with this show to me is more realistic. Like for instance, doctors are not always hanging out in the ER. They don't. They're either stuck up in their office, they're out playing golf, <laughs> running a private practice, or if or if they're in hospital or performing surgery, they're not there waiting in a in a in an ER. That you call them and they turn up. No, 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 no. It's the nurses and the physician's assistants and the interns that are always in the hospital. Surgeons are usually they're there performing things. Other doctors, no. But I appreciate the series for that because it's more realistic and I love the different cases and I love how they sometimes bring back characters who like, like someone had a surgery in season one, they can bring him back for like a little cameo. And I'm loving it. And then there's the devil judge. This one is fun on Vicky. Oh, it's an illegal dystopian drama. I'm loving the clothes, the fashion, even the villainous. I hate her guts. Kudos to the actress. She's doing an amazing job. That makes me, you know, if I hate it, if I hate a character, it's like all because the actress is doing such a good job. So I'm like, Sona, you may be a bitch, excuse my language, but you know how to dress. That woman is never caught slacking in her in the wardrobe department. <laughs> I want all of her outfits. And 
I've been watching some some Chinese dramas. I started um, You Are My Glory, which is kind of like if you're familiar with like Chinese game dramas, that's what I call them. It's like a mix of Love O to Wo and if you're in The King's Avatar. And then also there was one I came out recently, Love Scenery. This was kind of like all of those. And so it's more like to me, Love Scenery 2.0. It's almost an almost exact same plot. But this mm-hmm. one stars Yang Yang, who's in um, Love O'Toole, and also The King's Avatar. He's so fine. He's so hot. He's gotten more mature. His face looks so much more mature. He just looks so much more sexier than me now. And Dilaraba, I really like her. She was in Love Designer. She's a really good. And they actually have chemistry, which is always mm-hmm. a big bonus. So this one is about, he is a aerospace engineer who's no longer working for the Chinese Space, Space Federation. That's not the name, but that's the name I'm calling it. Um, and so he's like t- technically out of work because like he felt like disillusioned by what's happening. He's like, I, this isn't what I got into the program for. And then I'll say he got fired. So he's like you know, um, caught up and trying to figure out what his like, where he wants to go next. And then she's an actress and he's training her for this game competition where, you know, it's like this promotional thing, like she's going to play in like this celebrity game tournament, you know, like, what do you call it? Mm-hmm. It's not RPG, it's not RPG, but you know, kind of like- MMO RPG, like War of like World, like World of like Warcraft. Kind of, oh, yeah, kind of like those kind of games. So he's like training her for like a celebrity, it's like a celebrity with professional kind of like game things. So mm-hmm. it's kind of fun. And one thing about you show, they don't skimp on the graphics because the VFX for the little game scenarios are like really well done. And um, for Taiwanese dramas, I just finished Beloved In-House, which is, I call them male love dramas. This one took me for like a waste of time. I was just unfortunate because there was so much potential with the two lead characters, the two lead actors and the characters. Like they had chemistry, had really good story. And then they brought in a storyline with an ex. Why? I don't know. It felt wasted. And they only finally got together like the last five minutes of the show. I'm like, this is a waste of time. 12 episodes of nothingness. Like we talked about satisfying mm-hmm. and this ending it had a happy ending but it did not feel satisfying to me because all of that for five minutes 12 episodes and all i got was five minutes no unacceptable mm-hmm. but i was so sad to watch it because that was also on the key as well and oh your my glory is on we tv so that's it for my <laughs> my tv watching for now <laughs> nice no i like that i definitely um so I've actually seen my King's Avatar of the King's Avatar. Um, so I really enjoyed that one. So I'm going to definitely check out the other one because I'm like, I like a good hospital drama. Because it's like, is it like a hospital yeah. drama or is it just like the hospital is part of the drama? It's a medical drama because all the lead characters, like oh. all the characters are connected to the hospital. So like the five main characters, mm-hmm. they're surgeons. Then it's about the nurses. It's about the interns that they train. It's about their family members because... We see one of them as Juwan. His dad was the hospital director, and then his dad died. That's in season one. But like his kind, his story is kind of funny to me because like he wanted to be a priest, and his mother was like, "For the love of God, literally, do not be a priest." Why? Because his four other siblings are priests and nuns. <laughs> his two older brothers are priests, and his two old, and his no three, and his three older sisters are nuns. And the mother was like, you are my, literally, you are my last hope. She like, God, like, she like, I know you think God is calling you, but listen to your mother. Please do not become a priest. That one, that was, it was a funny, but it was also kind of heartbreaking because you could understand. She was like, you don't understand. Right. <laughs> You're becoming a priest will hurt me. And I was like, I feel for you, lady. Six mm. kids and all them priests and nuns? No. 
Yeah. Like, this is unacceptable. Like, she needs, she wants some grandbabies. <laughs> but she wasn't only about grandbabies, but she just wanted one of her kids to have like a normal right. life, right? That and too. he's such a sweet, like he loves kids. Yeah, and like he, cause he's like a pediatric surgeon and she's like, you love kids. Why? Mm-hmm. And she's and, and like and I think it was a really good discussion because she's talking about how you know people say oh I want to live a life of service so I can become a patient like you can you're living a life of service now as a doctor as a as a as a surgeon that you are doing God's work you're helping families like how you're saving kids lives how is that not considered living in service to God and like I thought it was a really interesting um, discussion to have because mm-hmm. there are a lot of people like you know especially who grew up in yeah. church, you know to say oh you got to do this you got to do that so and she's like are you not literally not doing that right now true like, very true points were made points were made exactly. um, it was like i'm like go on mom i'm not firm now mom's side mm-hmm. i agree yes season two is on netflix and they're releasing it weekly so that's the that's another thing so this one hospital place and releases every thursday on netflix. oh nice like that definitely we'll be checking that out for sure then um so thank you for the k-drama rex for me I will go ahead and I will share mine. So I am going to talk about The Owl House. Uh, this is an American animated fantasy series created by Dana Teres. It premiered on January 10th, 2020 on Disney Channel. And it's also on Disney XD, but I watch it through Disney Plus because who got time for cable? <laughs> I don't. But, um, but as y'all heard fantasy, which uh, y'all know, I love magic and fantasies. So anyways, the Owl House follows loose an Afro-Latina, uh, Afro-Latina self-assured teenage girl who accidentally stumbles upon a portal to a magical world where she befriends a rebellious witch, Ida, and an adorably tiny warrior king. Despite not having magical abilities, Luz uh, pursues her dreams of becoming a witch by serving as Ida's apprentice at the Owl House and ultimately finds a new family in an unlikely setting so this show is so cute (laughs) i love it so much and i just have to preface it by saying people who enjoyed gravity falls i think y'all will enjoy this because i do love i really do just and love i do love like these i feel like i want to say a renaissance of animated series is upon us we had steven universe Mm. We've had Gravity Falls, which someone told me today that the first season finale of Gravity Falls was eight years ago, which I feel old now. Because how has eight years gone by that fast? I feel like Gravity Falls just came out. But regardless. That's sound familiar to me. It's, it's, um, Dana Teres is actually, I believe, um, Alex Hirsch is on the series. So Alex Hirsch is, um, one of the voices and he, was the creator of Gra- Gravity Falls, and oh no, never mind. I thought Dana Tress was his sister, but I'm wrong. So either way, like they're connected. Um, so getting back to the to this point, um, starring cast. I should also mention this. So the starring voice cast um, includes Sarah Nicole Robles, Wendy Malik, Alex Hirsch, Tati Gabrielle. Which, if y'all recognize that name, that would be Prudence from Sabrina, which me and Carolyn love Prudence so much. Um, oh God, I just love her so much. I want a series of just her. Isaac Ryan Brown, Mae Whitman, and Sissy Jones. So that's just to give you an idea. Also, Zeno Robinson joined the uh, voice acting crew this current season, which 
love Zeno's work. I um, He was one of the voice actors I actually got the pleasure of talking to when I did a panel. But anyways, yeah, so like getting into this a little bit more, this series is very cute. It's like, it's nice to see Luz, who I, I see a bit of myself in her, where like anybody who was a book nerd and loved reading books about fantasy and magic or, you know, like adventure, and you know, maybe you wrote some fan fiction, and you were obsessed with like the uh, the possibility of being transported to another world one day when you were little. Loose is you. You may see yourself in Loose, because that was definitely me when I was about 12, 13, 14, and when I eventually found out that I would not be transported to Hogwarts or any other magical book place <laughs> that I liked until, you know, that woman ruined Hogwarts for me. Um, it's just like I, I I love that this series going back to what I was saying like how I feel like we're seeing a renaissance of animated series how we are seeing these creators who most likely people who are around our ages grew up reading watching appreciating a lot of the things that we like and we read and watch but they're also like so we're seeing characters that reflect and have representation and t- and you're also seeing series that ha- reflect and have representations of issues that like go a little bit deeper than what we may have seen like I'll say 20 years ago because like while some series really did go deep like you know animated series did go deep there with like maybe touching on mental health or you know bullying um this one goes a little bit further when I think about like anxiety um dealing with an illness that you don't have control over because for example Ida has a curse on her that she can't control and she's just very focused on like I live every day the way I want to live and I want to be free even though it's like this super concerning thing that like like you know Luce is worried about when she finds out about the curse that she has on her Ida is very much like don't worry about me you're a child you're a kid I'm an adult I'll be fine but it's also like this thing of like you know Ida's issue isn't also isn't swept under the rug either because it's like it's a very serious thing that she deals with of like it's something that's a part of me that I can't control and like her curse causes her to be transformed into this monster that she loses control over her body and I'm like huh this is probably something that people could relate to when it's like you know not having control over your body with something that you can't you know you have she has to take her potions in order to keep to remain control over herself so it's like it's explored deeper than it just being like oh it's a goofy curse that was placed on her it's more like it goes a bit deeper and then you have also other things so going back to representation there's a character but two dads this is a disney show that actually shows a character with two dads in love in a relationship saying my dads but then it goes a little bit further Luz is by so in this season, she has a crush on another girl. And it's the fact that like, we get to see that explored and it's not done in a way where it's kind of like, oh, they're just friends and they have a special bond and they trust each other and they're just friends. Like, no, it's actually touched on that they have romantic feelings for each other and they have a crush and they have crushes on one another. And, you know, it's the awkward teenage stage of like oh I have a crush on this person but I hope they like me oh you know like you go through all of that with the with it being two young girls and I believe also oh going a little further too this season also introduced its first non-binary character 
So it's like, I'm very impressed with how shows like these are really making an effort when it comes to representation, not just like when it talks about, you know, like, here's a brown character, and let's just see her go on adventures. Like, no, actually, like, Luz will speak in Spanish um, constant, like, repeatedly throughout the series and like the way this, they will touch on like her her family her mother like her culture like things like that and then they'll also touch on you know her newfound family and so like there was an episode where like king he's like this adorable little puppy looking demon and he's like i choose to name myself like i'm choosing to name myself um clawthorn so he takes Eda's name so it's like it really touches on found family and other parts of representation which i think is like it's nice to see more of that done and not in a way where it's just like i just i, I feel we see it a lot where we see like shows will give you a black character a brown character or an lgbtq character and then they'll do nothing with them besides have them be there and like, you know, it would be more, I'm more impressed with the fact that like, we're seeing them like actually explore and show examples of like loose, like having a crush on a boy and also having a crush on a girl. It's interesting that they're doing this in an animated show because Disney fails to do it in their live action films with grown adults. Yeah. Like, oh, this is our first um, opening gay character. Really weird. Weird because they're we had to search for him. sitting now like, we, 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 we only know they're gay because you said that they're gay. There's nothing in their dialogue, nothing in their mannerisms, nothing about anything they do that says they're gay, says mm-hmm. they're queer. Like, you talk about Loki. Loki, like, we... We had one line. We, we, we consider him to be queer. We consider Loki to be bisexual. Right. Probably pansexual. But that's our own inference as fans onto the character because Disney, Marvel, has done nothing to really right they gave one line and that was it and it's like even then i'm like that's fine to confirm right it's like that's great you confirmed it but also like are you going to do anything else with it yeah and that's kind of like where i like the i love and appreciate the creators with this because like there was a prom episode or as they call it grom um (laughs) And you had the whole episode where um, um, Amity, the girl who has a crush on Luz, is trying to work up the courage to ask her out to go to go to the dance with her. And it's like, it's very cute. It's adorable. And it's just like realizing that like, she like, you know, Luz is just kind of like oblivious to the fact that that she likes her because they started off with like not being the best of friends or not being friends, period, to then eventually becoming friends and then eventually like Luz realizing she likes her also. But it's like they had an episode where they danced together closely, like as if they were romantically dancing as partners not just as like two friends dancing and I'm just like the the amount of people that probably showed a bit of rage at that episode compared to the amount of people who rejoiced at seeing that episode and having Lucy's like bi identity confirmed was a beautiful thing to see because we've seen her crush over like a boy or like be attracted to a, a man but like I think there's been a few I don't think up until that point was there any indication that like um 
I mean, I think maybe I have to rewatch it, which I wouldn't I wouldn't complain about rewatching it. But like the whole point is that like we're seeing it done and it's not this inner struggle that Luce has to have about if she likes someone or not, or is it okay, or is it, conf- or is she confused, which, like, is, like, and I'm not negating any of that, like, journey for people and characters when we see that, because I'm sure that's somebody's journey, but I found it very refreshing for Luz to, like, just exist and being, like, I find this boy to be attractive, I find this girl to be attractive, and it's not an entire episode of her, like, you know, not knowing or doubting or like you know doubting her feelings like she literally is following her heart with who she is in love with and I'm like that's very cute it's very it's it's just like very pure and innocent to see like you know she's just a young girl they're 14 years old kids have crushes it's innocent like kids are and like for people who are like this is too young for like children are too young to see this this is the gay agenda and I just feel like so are we going to talk about the homosexual agenda that y'all push on children? Because no one ever says that. <laughs> no one ever. T- no, never- you mean the heterosexual. You mean, you mean the heterosexual agenda. Sorry, did I say homosexual agenda or just say heterosexual? Yeah, you mean the heterosexual agenda. Jesus, <laughs> I was so caught up. Yes, the heterosexual agenda. Uh, but yes, the heterosexual agenda that people will be like, y'all don't complain when you see a prince and a princess kiss. So when, mm-hmm. when like a five-year-old sees that, but then y'all make it seem like, oh no, your 10-year-old can't see like a girl kiss another girl because then you'll have to explain what, you know, different identities are and that everyone may not look like you, but how about the child who like can relate to those characters and being able to see themselves in those characters? I think that's a beautiful thing. So... I don't know. I love this show for a lot of reasons. I think it's a great, it does a great job of exploring a lot of different issues and it does a great job of taking representation and doing something with it instead of just being like, look of how inclusive we are. We have a brown main character. That's it. Especially for getting an animated show, it's just as you were saying, if only Marvel and Disney would commit to the same ideals, I guess you could say, with their live actions, maybe one day. Yeah. I mean, this is a Disney show, but I feel like this is definitely some of those shows where I'm like, I'm sure the production, the creators, they have to fight for everything they do with it because I truly cannot remember a TV show on Disney that has had a bi character. Yeah. Um, or even had gay representation. Like I said, like there's a character with two dads who are married to one another. Um, and like, I know there was an episode, was it Sunny with a Chance? No, not Sunny with a Chance. Good luck, Charlie. That was like a show like way back. When I, yeah, that's a, that's a, it's old. It's old now. Cause like I was definitely in high school when it was on, but like there is an episode that never aired, but apparently there was an episode where there were two moms. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, again, it was it was a joke where like the parents were like, I thought you said you talked to uh, so-and-so's mom to set up a play date. I'm like, and the dad was like, I did talk to so-and-so's mom. That's not her mom. And the other mom's like, well, that's not the mom I talked to. And they're like, oh, moms. And I'm like, cool. So <laughs> even then, like, this is it. This is still like far beyond like stuff like that back then. I think this is much I have hope for Disney to get there. And I guess like when I look at shows like 
and I say hope for Disney to get there because of creators like Dana Terrace when it comes with this who are who put in the work and 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 her team to put in the work with this and get it to where it is now um because I when I look at shows like Steven Universe and how far uh, like they and how much they really committed themselves to making representation and talking about issues of like mental health but also you like having non-binary characters having you know lgbtq characters having discussions about like mental health anxiety depression like these are things that toxic relationships like I could go on like there's so many discussions that happen on on Steven Universe and I feel like these are things that Steven Universe I feel like paved the way for a lot of other TV shows to hopefully get there and I feel like Cartoon Network does a great job of really pushing that narrative that they are a place for inclusive and representation whereas like other places you know let's not act like Nickelodeon didn't put Avatar um you know what was it Cora yeah they put Cora on that's when they started streaming it digitally and because it got a little too heavy with the content and then it was eventually because the creators wanted to show that Cora and Nasami were together like they had to fight for that so I don't know we'll see I have hope for things to get better though with all these creators out here but I've digressed enough I'll get off my soapbox <laughs> uh but okay let's wrap things up with movies would you like to go first because i believe this is one we both saw yeah so this the movie we're gonna talk about today mm-hmm. um is black widow so this is the 2021 movie the one that is 10 years too late directed by kate shortland screenplay by eric Pearson, story by jack schaefer and ned benson now this film, I spent $40 to watch this film Oof. on Disney Plus. And it came out to $40 because of the, you know, the exchange rate plus taxes. And that film is not worth my $40. Not worth $35. It's not worth $25, especially if I'm not getting concessions with it. I didn't get any kind of perks. I could have been, I, should, I think I deserve at least a sticker for, for watching it. It's not terrible. But it's also not that good. I think it's actually fairly basic. It's not or worth forty dollars. I'll say that. Sure not forty if you're in the Canadian dollars. <laughs> There's very few films, no matter how much I love them, that are worth forty dollars. And as I said, this film to me seems pretty basic. Like the storyline is super predictable. For one thing, because we know she doesn't die at the end, so there's no there's no stakes to the story. Like there's tension, but there's no real stakes for like, is she gonna die? She fell off that building. Oh no, will she live? Now we know she lives because we know she falls off a cliff at the end of um, in, in Endgame. So we know when she ultimately does die. Mm-hmm. And, and this film, and it also the plot also doesn't really make sense when you consider the fact like it's centered around, okay, so the plot is about Natasha, we get a, we get her background. So we saw how she that we saw her growing up in Midwestern America. I think it was Oklahoma or something like that. And she's living with these with this family, and it turns out they're not her real family. They're all Russian spies, mm-hmm. and she's they're taken. They're they're basically called back to, to Russia, and she goes back to work to to be to um to work or train, I should say, in the Red Room, which is this place where young girls 
who are without parents who have been abandoned by society and by their families, and they're taken in by this man, Drekov, who trains them up to be world-class um, assassins and, 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 and spies, and abuses them and misuses them. And I think this film has a very misogynistic and anti-feminist skew to it, to the plot, and I think also to the tech, which I actually intend to write about. But it really doesn't really make sense in the fact, like, Drekov <laughs> has this massive, massive floating metal and glass city in the sky. And somehow we're supposed to buy that the Avengers did not know about him, did not know about this, did not know about the existence of the Red Room, it doesn't know anything about Drekov, doesn't know anything about the, the, uh, the other Black Widow um, assassins. Excuse me, Houseway. You how how did no how how is this an, a, a secret organization and he has this gigantic floating castle? How I was just waiting for that to be explained. Was there some kind of stolen Stark tech that cloaks you? Because like I get that like it was invisible, but even if it was invisible, didn't Tony put like a satellite or something? I'm assuming doesn't Nick Fury oh, have eyes? Some yeah. something like somebody's got to have eyes on this thing. Did we forget the height? The, remember the heavy carriers in um, Winter Soldier? All those massive things? Like, they were, it's like, that thing is bigger than the Avengers Tower. No cloaking device on Earth could hide something that big. No, I mean, well, they did have the, they had the helicarrier thing, and they had, like, so it's like, it's one of those things where, like, even if but they just said it? it was a cloaking tech, I would have been like, that is at least explaining how you hit it. Because otherwise, I'm wondering how does all of this energy, this massive thing that's producing all this energy float in the sky and no one picks it up on a thermal no radar? Nothing. Nothing picks none, it up on a radar? None, like, all, none of the start tech? No, nothing from Wakanda? Come on. I mean, Wakanda no. ain't no, looking for them. <laughs> But yeah, you know, maybe I should and T'Challa may know that this thing existed, and she thought the Red Room was extinct. Really, there's a giant floating um, castle above Russia. How is this a surprise to you? I just don't understand how that part. I was just like, I get that y'all cloaked it. I don't understand how it's cloaked. I was just hoping for someone to explain how is it cloaked and no one picks up on it because literally. Nick Fury ain't got eyes on it. I mean, granted, this is after Nick Fury has been killed. Um, so he's out there on the run and he's not showing his identity. So, but like even then, I'm like, no one could pick this up on a radar. Nobody. No Jarvis. Oh, Jarvis ain't around, but Jarvis ain't been around at this point because you know it's after like Civil War. But so, no, I mean, like, even oh, you mean previously during like the construction stage? This is something that this man uh, built. This would have taken at least like what 10 15 years to build. Who knows? Or even what it just can it don't make sense. Like, that's like a plot hole that's kind of just like, how did nobody ever was it that nobody is it just like one of those things where you know, like it's such it's not it's kind of like in Captain America, like in the series with like Cap and Winter Soldier when they were basically saying. You got aliens, super soldiers, or magicians. And did this just not fit into like any of the big three where y'all cared enough to like explore it? Because like, cause I do agree. Like, okay, I get that. Like the black widows operate on like, so, on like on such a good 
Like, you know, they're good about keeping things quiet and making sure nobody finds out about them or sees them. Because if they, if you saw them, you're dead, you're gone. But it's also, (laughs) no one was probably looking for them or cared because it didn't impede on any of the things that they, like, like you said, like, Thor's not going to go look for them because he don't know about them. But like, if they went and like killed Natasha or like, you know, did something to her, of course, then Thor and them would use all of their powers to locate them. And I'm sure like, so it's, I feel like it's just a matter of like, if they weren't, they were operating under the radar enough for them to not care to look for them. If that makes sense. But, but, but even then that's so just me because Natasha's saying she thought that she killed. Um, yeah. And they believed that they thought that that was the red room, but <laughs> that was it. But oh, you are a super secret spy. You you didn't confirm the death. Like unless you did a double tap to the chest and once at the head like John Wick, and you made sure he was dead, you like you left it all up to assumption. That didn't make sense. I mean, like she's supposed to be one of the world's best spies. How does she make such an amateur mistake? I guess like it comes down to her saying where like the building was like destroyed, like how they said like they literally blew up the building. It is a James Bond plot. It's a bit. It's definitely a James Bond plot in the way to like like of course y'all have to have tension and have to make us believe that dude is dead and the red room was gone, but like we know it's not gone because here we are. The widows are still operating. It's just, I don't know. It was, I'm like, now that you bring it up, I would definitely agree that it's just like, yeah. The only way I can think about it is like they operated where like they did not pull up on the Avengers radar enough. So people didn't care enough. And then like, and then there's the whole wanton destruction in this film. Like this is something I've talked about before when it comes to MCU films where there's so much damage and so much collateral damage to civilians. From the first chase sequence in um, in the down the streets, like they damaged so much personal property. People died mm-hmm. in that chase, and neither Natasha or her sister Yelena seem phased by this. Like I know you're hurting criminals, but you've also supposed to have been able to find your morality and your conscience. So are you not worried about the people whose giant whose car whose cars you ran through in in this pursuit, like? You like you know what I mean? Like all these people sitting in these cars are dead. Like you flip cars, crush them, all this stuff. And then there's like the prison when they when they cause the avalanche. And yeah. these are well, hundreds of people buried by this avalanche. Not just the criminals, but the people who work there. Like those are people who aren't going home to their families now. Like are we not concerned? Are, are they are their deaths not worthy of note either? And then there's when they bring down Dracos built um floating um ice floating metal and um, glass castle. The debris field is gonna be massive. So this is who got killed when this when this thing exploded and it came crashing onto Earth. Yeah. I mean I guess like the whole thing with the field was though, like I didn't see any houses. It looks like it was just an empty field. Like like, that was the only thing. Like it did look like there were no nobody was there. But I'll tell you why I don't buy that, because even if it's a feel like the debris field is going to be like the debris field from the falling um, wreckage is going to be wider than what they showed with that field because if a plane crash can cover miles Mm -hmm. something that massive is going to cover kilometers like dozens of kilometers so they're going to hit civilization eventually they're going to hit some small town and there's no mention of this like i that's something 
bugs the hell out of me but not only the mc but even dc are you know like it's just like are we not going to talk about the civilians that died in your hero in your measures to be heroic like does this not matter at all really I will say I liked it better than, than Captain Marvel. Really? Yeah. I liked it better. I actually enjoyed it better than Captain Marvel. Like, I like I understand what you're saying, the parts that felt anti-feminist, but then like I don't agree that the movie as a whole is anti-feminist. Um, like the whole point that it does play on the fact that society, like the girls who are abandoned, like I thought that was a good way to touch on like girls, like young girls are, go missing at an alarming rate across the world like they are like as human trafficking like how that happens I felt yeah. like that's something that it touches on and for um the villain to kind of say like I use the resource the like the largest resource in the world young girls because like yeah no people literally they're either abandonment um like not having parents um, sex trafficking, human trafficking, like young girls go missing at an alarming rate. And yeah, sure. I think that was something that like, even though like it's touched on lightly, I was just like, yeah, no, saying that, I would hope that people understand like, yeah, no. Cause it kind of like also made me think that, so there was the episode, not the episode, there was in Black Panther um, when Nakia is on her mission, on her war dog mission, mm -hmm. and she is helping to rescue child soldiers and young, like young trafficked women, um, and like stopping them from becoming like taking in to like to be human trafficked. And I thought like, how dope would it? I'm like, this is just like a, a quick thought I had. Like, it would be dope to see like that crossover because like we know that war dog like there's more than one war dog in Wakanda like they go off and they do missions and they save young girls so like to your point Wakanda could eventually have found out if anybody was going to find out about the, the red room it would have been the Wakandans I do I firmly believe I firmly believe that because all they would have had to do was mess up and try to take a Wakanda girl all they like and even not, not even a Wakandan girl just step foot on Africa on a part like on a on a country where like Wakanda is on good terms with them and they'd be like nah y'all done messed up now we gotta go track you down and get our girls back so like that was that was just like, a quick thought I had um going off of there but no it's true it, no it's true and I did kind of consider that because mm -hmm. the other thing is like at the end of it and this is where this is where you know that this film is ten years too late because this was oh yeah something it's definitely too late. Came after is like you have these of uh, these women who are now spoiler released from their from the mind control and they're going off to Yelena and that would have been a perfect pickup for I guess you could also say Agents of Shield the series. Yeah. Like I could see, I could see that being a subplot in Agents of Shield. I could see that being a subplot in um in let me see, I would a also bunch. say in a bunch of films, like in any any of the MCU films, that could have been a through line throughout any of the MCU films because like, if they need information, mm -hmm. they would have been had these women that they could have used that they could have called on for support and backup and like information. Mm -hmm. But because the film is again ten years too darn late. Like, yeah. we can tell that this it feels like an unfinished story. And, and it feels like something, of, of, it creates kind of like a plot hole in the rest of the films because, like, Yelena is never mentioned 
in the in the films. Yeah. This film is showing that she and Elena ended on good terms and like they mm-hmm. would have kept in contact. But mm-hmm. because this film again is ten years too late, they, they never even throughout the making the films consider the fact that Elena could have been a character that would have at least been mentioned. Like you never right. hear Natasha talking right. about her sister. And you never even hear her talking about the about the parents. So it's just like mm-hmm. I mean, I think the issue with it is like, and I and I and I even said this, I said this as soon as I watched it. Like, even if y'all had put this, I understand like how they pigeon, like not pigeonhole it, but like how they put this in to fit in after like following Civil War. Like this takes place after Civil War. I'm like, yeah, great. I wish it had came. I wish y'all had put it actually out after Civil War for it to actually have meant something, because then. I would have, this would have been a good way to kick off Infinity War. And then the stakes of everything that happened in Endgame would have been more impactful and I would have cared a lot more. And then you could have put the end credit scene with Yelena and um, I can't remember her name, the lady, the purple streaked haired lady. Um, You could put her at the end of Infinity War as an end credit. Um, she's basically going to be we at this point we know that she's going to that she's putting together a team because she, she was in cap in, in winter soldier and now we're going to see her again with Yelena so like that's they're going to come together and we're going to see them um, in the Hawkeye series so it's just I just feel like I would have rather this film had came out even at the latest after Civil War, because I think it would have meant so much more then, like for the character, it would have meant more then. Now, could y'all have put out something like, and and this is where I question, like, I don't know exactly when the script was done or when it was assigned to be written. I know we were told that we were getting a Black Widow movie in phase four or phase five or whatever, but like things were delayed and everything with COVID. Like, I don't blame COVID for this movie being delayed. I wholeheartedly blame y'all for not putting this movie out after Civil War because it would have been the best move to have it out then and then have it follow like Infinity War and Endgame. It just would have made more sense because it actually would have given her death meaning, I, I would say more meaning in Endgame. more about her death. I would have cared more about her death, but I also would have cared more about the work she was doing to get everyone together in um, Infinity War and how she went to go and find people and get like Cap and them. Like you could have shown her and Cap meet up at the, in the end credits instead if it came out after Infinity, if it came after a Civil War, that you could have seen her and Cap meet up and say like, okay, we got to get everyone together and like them making their plans and going about breaking everyone out, whatever. It just, I didn't, yeah, I just I mean, didn't care. I, I mean, I cared in the sense where like, I wanted her to be alive when we saw that end credit scene. I actually wanted her to be alive because I, I truly wanted there, I, for this whole time since Endgame, I wanted the Natasha that died to have just been a scroll, for it to have been connected to Secret Invasion somehow, for like, you know, something, it's just something, because yeah. we know Secret Invasion is coming, we know that Nick Fury was a scroll, we knew that, you know, Maria Hill is a scroll, so it's like all these things, I'm like, how, like, okay, that would have actually been, you know, a decent way to bring it full circle, but 
it I understand like that's just fantasy where it's just like that wasn't going to happen that just wasn't going to be the yeah. case she's dead and she's gone and she's real dead dead now because Scarlett Johansson got that lawsuit with Disney so and, and there's and it's not only that like the fact is Scarlett Johansson especially it was in particular a lot of black black women in particular Mm-hmm. have not been fans of Scarlett Johansson for a very Oh, I'm not even as big of a fan of her. I actually just like Black Widow. No, but I mean, the reason I say that is that... Yeah. Like, there was really no interest in the film because of that. Like, all many women on our tears were like, meh. Like, I myself wasn't really interested in it, partly because I'm not that huge a fan of Scarlett Johansson. Like, let me say, like, when she died, when Black Widow dies in the um, in um, Endgame, you're just like, meh. The only reason it's, I was thinking about her death is the fact that I think Cliff is the one who should have died because he's a racist mass murderer and he is the one who rightfully, deservedly should have been at the bottom of that cliff and not Black Widow because of, like her sacrificing herself for him to prove that it she felt is not dumb. a monster because of that analysis that Josh Whedon wrote Yes. BS. Which I will say a good part about Black Widow, which I think they did approve on because of the nonsense that was Joss Whedon's mess in Age of Ultron, mm-hmm. where she's like, I'm a monster. We belong together. I sh- we should be together when she basically equates her not having the ability to have children and being a mass murderer to to Bruce, a.k.a. the Hulk's situation. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, okay, I understand the trauma you must have. And like, you got your own things going on because you're not able to have children. And that is a very traumatic and terrible thing because someone took away your choice, your ability to choose to have children. However, Joss Whedon could not write that shit right because that's not what was said. She basically equated being a monster because she could not have a child. Which is madness. Which is very much madness because- you're not a chi- you're not a monster if not able to have a child it's which it was very misogynistic it was terrible it was terribly written whereas like in black widow at least they're like they acknowledge the whole thing that happens and i honestly am one for like the bruntness of i like how bl- bluntly it was acknowledged where they're like and how they talk about it it's just like yeah no it was a forced hysterectomy they went in they took everything out and they forced us to do this and i don't have and now i don't have like when the red guardian is like are you on your period he's like no i don't got a period you idiot because i got because someone took away my ability to have a child and it's like but even then that's puts still it, line, but then even but even the, the thing is with that scene that bugs me is the fact that that discussion even happens is is because he says Yes. Like her emotions are equated to her having a period. Well, yes, because and he's a chauvinistic asshole. But, yeah, but, my, but my point is like, even even now, why the hell do we still have men making these kind of stupid, idiotic, and ignorant comments? Because like, he's dated, though. That's the whole point in that scene. He's dated and he's chauvinistic, even if he does care about them at the end of the day. But is it even really that dated? Because like again, like this film is written by men. Like the screenplay is written by men, and this and the story is. It's written by men. men, but I'm not saying that like they seriously are saying that. I'm saying that they're leaning into the fact that men do believe that, and they say that shit still today. Whereas like <laughs> yes, men literally say that stuff today to this day, and it's like you have no right to say that kind of thing to a woman. And he that's just literally, I think that was them taking the nod to like a man commenting on a woman like being upset 
and saying it versus like them truly believing that she's upset and saying it just like it was like the commentary of it i know it's just the way it was done because maybe it's also because of my own personal issues too but it's just like can we not because i think it was like what was it last year or the year before where there was a show i think it was a netflix one too where this girl like she got her period and like like you would think it was a 1980s john hughes movie where the guys, the boys were laughing at her. And even the teacher was laughing because she got her period in the middle of class. I'm like, it's freaking 2021, people. Or 2021 is sort of been made. And I'm like, why are we still getting these these stupid, asinine, ignorant jokes? Like, getting peers is a natural is a natural thing for girls. Like, why is it still being treated as something to laugh about? And then also treated as something to be like, where is like, oh, you're a woman now. And that means you because I think mm. the film, the show is about this girl, like these girls, that when they get their period, they they become these mad, they get they are able to get in touch with their or it's kind of like the craft. And, uh, and I'm like, please, no one's period is magical. No, it's when, not. When, when we get our periods, we're not sitting in a bathtub filled with leaf, filled with rose petals and milk. That is not how it is. Okay, no. you're curled up in your bed in pain, waiting for your painkillers to kick in, and just saying like, God, why? Yeah, I prefer the bluntness of it all. Like, I prefer people being very realistic of this shit and just being like, it sucks to have your period. And here's all the things it does to your body from a woman's perspective, not from a man's perspective, because fuck y'all, y'all don't have, y'all don't know this, like, and excuse my language, but like, truthfully, if a man wants to comment on like the things that my period is doing to my body, all I have to say is F you, because you truly don't know. It literally, like, even then, but getting back to the movie, I feel like things I liked, yeah, it was going back to that part. I like that at least it does a better job of focusing on Natasha's guilt with being having like with her when she talks about my ledger isn't clean and mm-hmm. like her guilt when it comes to having killed people. We know that like a big part of that guilt stems from um, being the, the like her. telling them like going for the shot and blowing up the building and like an innocent child who did not need to die she basically uses the child as a way to know that the villain was there and that girl is like caught in the blast and presumed to be dead so it's kind of like I like that we actually it's no longer just like this grandiose thing of her just keep saying like my ledger's not clean and like kind of like washes away i'm like we get it you kill people you were an assassin we get it but like can we actually have someone explore that a bit deeper and i will say at least we got that a little bit more of like her feeling like it's not just that she feels guilty about that death she feels guilty about abandoning her sister yeah um but overall when it comes back to it i just wish this came out at the latest after civil war because it would have been more and i would have cared and we would have like you said the stakes would have been higher they would we would have cared more about that death and the end credit scene would have made more sense as an end credit scene at the end of i guess you know end game but you know marvel's gonna marvel when it comes to female hero leads i do for one say though this we know for sure they were never going to make a black widow movie first that this was not going to be the first movie they made made as like a woman-led movie yeah just because murder espionage killing like 
And I think that they touched on that a little bit, but they go a little deeper. And I like, I like, I think, um, was it Florence Pugh is her name? The character who plays um, Yelena. She steals the show for me, which I think is rightfully like what they plan to do from the beginning, where it's like, it's truly a swan song for Scarlett Johansson's character. And it's a, you know, rocket launch for Florence Pugh to become the new mm-hmm. Black Widow as we like get this new character and we're like oh we like her she's funny she's edgy she's cool and we'll see more of her in Hawkeye so this all just felt like it could have been a free movie on Disney Plus yep. but it was not free or released it five years ago <sighs> You could have at least only Disney has to rethink that price point. They really got to rethink that price point. But the prices, price points aren't even equal because um, Mulan, I think, was cheaper, wasn't it? Mulan was about $20. They've all been the same for here for, our, for us. For Premier Access, it's all been uh, $29.99. So for all the Disney movies that came out this year, I just... As for me and my house, we will continue to enjoy HBO Max, or I will continue to collect $10 from each of my friends to watch the movies in my home, because... I would do that if I had friends to collect $10 from. Girl, listen, <laughs> I, I, gotta start sharing passwords. If we could, <laughs> you can edit that part out. Um, I'm just tired. I'm tired of this. I'm tired of the, I'm tired of the charging exuberant prices. Like you already pay a subscription fee. Why? At least fifteen ninety nine. You're a billion dollar company, Disney. Have a little mercy on the rest of us broke people. Please. Please. Ah, but with that, because it's going a little long, I'll save my movie review for our next episode because um, it is the Fear Street trilogy. Yeah. Um, and we can get into that. If Carolyn would like to watch it, she can. Oh, I do intend to watch it, actually. It was intended to watch it, but again, I got caught up, and then we have uh, film festivals coming up, so... Oh, yeah, that's right! Let's segue into telling the people what's going on as we close out. Me, because apparently I, like, because I like a challenge, I don't know what I'm thinking, but for August, I will be covering the Fantasia Film Festival, International Film Festival, as well as the New York Asian Film Festival, for so here's what happened and then um in september i will also be covering tips like i normally do and so there's going to be um interviews as usual for carolyn talks it will be you know under there so here's what happened but then the interviews will be carolyn talks like i normally do for the film festivals there will be reviews of the films follow my twitter handle at carriecnh12 and you can follow the hashtag the one for Fantasia Fest will be hashtag SHWH Fantasia. And then for the New York Asian Film Festival, it will be SHWH NYAFF. <laughs> so you can follow those hashtags and, and see what films I'm watching, my thoughts on the films. They both start around the same time, and we're going to get this. I don't know. So by the time this is published, they will be showing, but the festivals, both festivals run for around two weeks. The New York Asian Film Festival starts August the 5th. And Fantasia Fest starts on August the 6th. So there's plenty of time to go onto their websites and buy a ticket for the virtual screenings. I will not be advocating for in-person screenings because we are still in a Panderosa. Um, but you can find, you can get tickets for the virtual online screenings for both festivals. 
We have some amazing lineups from across um, Asia and North America, and particularly for Fantasia Fest and for Asia and for Linear Asia Film Festival is predominantly South Asian, Southeast Asian and East Asian films. Um, so yeah, there's that. <laughs> And Frankisha, what do you have going on? Oh, girl, I'm getting ready to start grad school at the end of this month. So, <laughs> um, which I guess, like, as I said, the end of this month, August. So I am not covering anything, but I will have some more manga reviews coming out. Um, I'm actually going to, I think I'm going to use my last month of freedom where I don't have to write papers for grades um, to write a few think pieces mm -hmm. that I have been, you know, rolling about in my head um and see what that takes us but we'll see we shall see but i'm not i'm not covering anything this month just because i wanted to like focus on like writing more manga reviews because i feel like i was kind of lax the last few months or the last month but this yeah that's about it for me and with that y'all can find us at shw h underscore pod on twitter and also on instagram we all can like you know follow us there too and engage with us and also uh, oh duh me um y'all can also follow me on instagram and twitter at nisha plays um i'll be also be trying oh i guess another thing i'll try to do a few more cosplays before the end of the year so if anyone has any ideas or recommendations let me know maybe i should do a vampire one for halloween this year I don't know. I'm thinking I'm I'm looking for ideas and inspiration. But that's about it. And where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Carrie Sandy Shop. That's C-A-R-R-I-E Sandy Shop. You can follow me during the week for my um my drama live tweets using the hashtag dramas with Carrie, as well as my YouTube channel where I have interviews for my Karen Talk segment as well as Beyond the Romance um drama podcast slash youtube channel is what i'm calling it now and my coverage with the african-american film critics association where we do interviews with black creatives in the film and television industry and for my recent interviews of beyond the romance i recently interviewed christine cole she is a producer and director rp for the netflix k drama law school so you can check out my interview with her on my youtube channel as well as beyond the romance podcast on butwhythepodcast.com and you can watch the show Law School on Netflix. It's a fan. I think it's a really, one of my favorite um, legal dramas in a really long time, for sure. And I also spoke to a friend, another film fan, Daisy Sim, about the Korean film The Wailing. So this is something I'm, I'm, I'm trying to also start doing where I'm going to be interviewing just film fans. And we're going to be discussing films and just having a blast talking about films. And, um, and that's it. Yeah, you can catch other interviews for Carolyn Talks there as well as well as on the podcast, because I will have the video and the podcast for bybythepodcast.com. And I am super busy, but you know what? I'm trying to do things that make me happy and like I love talking about films, so why not just see where that goes? <laughs> yes, yes. Love that. Love that for you. And with that, y'all know where to find us, as we have just said that, and y'all know where to listen to us. So come back again. And listen to more of me and Carolyn talking about the things we have watched and read for the month of August in the next episode. But bye. Bye.